I heard a tragic story this week, a couple of them. One about a young girl who uh, had a fight with her mom, and uh, she was really sad about her fight with her mom, and so she went to her room, and she knelt down by her bed, and she prayed. And her brother, it wasn't what they normally do in their house. Her brother walked by, and he saw her, and what are you doing? And went back to her mom and said, she's in there like pretending to pray. Her mom walked by her room, and she was kneeling by her bed, and her mom said, what are you doing? Her mom walked away, and when she came back, the girl had taken her life. It's not a story. It's just it happened. So over on the other side of the state, my boy Kyle's a pastor. He calls me from time to time to get just some encouragement, help, ideas, and if he's doing something, he, he was preaching a funeral for a fella, a, a grandpa of the family a while ago. And uh, he, we talked about that. We walked him through that. And he preached the funeral. And the family really appreciated it. It's a while ago. And they called him again. They said, there's been another death in the family. But this time it was their, a 14-year-old boy who had taken his life. Satan just so you know, he hates you. Satan hates you. And the world system is his system. And it's not for you, it's against you. He hates you. He hates your family. He hates everything that's good. He hates God and he hates everything that's good. And for everything that God created and for every longing that God put into our heart, <coughs> Satan has a counterfeit. He's a filthy, deadly substitute. Every one. <coughs> Excuse me. And what he'll do <coughs> is he'll try to get us to take the longings that we have, the powerful longings that we have that came from God, and he'll try to get us to pervert those longings and try to fulfill those longings in a way that violates God's design. Of course, we know that that's called sin. Even if it seems harmless, when we choose another way besides God's way, it's sin. We're in this series of messages on longings. And start me at the beginning there, if you will. We're in this series of messages on longings, and we're concluding today. And I want to talk to you a little bit about how it works. So we've given you some examples about longings. You know, we've talked about different kinds of longings that we have. But today I kind of want to talk about, well, how does this work? You know, how is it that sometimes our longings, they take us toward God, and sometimes our longings, they take us away from God. How can we have our most powerful longings fulfilled, and at the same time, have them take us to life and to God instead of to death and away from God. And so I just kind of want to talk about the mechanics of longing, and, and that is, um, uh, we want to go to the second slide there. Okay, thanks. It's take your Bibles and look in James chapter 1 and verse 13. James chapter 1 and verse 13. And you notice in James 1, 13, blessed is the man who endures temptation when he's approved, he receives the crown of life which the Lord has promised those who love him. God says you're going to face temptations, but when you endure temptations, God's going to reward you. You're going to have life. You're going to be crowned with life, right? Jesus is the author of life. He is our life. But notice what it says in verse 13. And don't let anybody say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. God can't be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Each one is tempted when he's drawn away 
by his own longings, by his own lust, by his own desires. And he's tempted. When you're drawn away by your own desires and you fulfill those desires in a way not pleasing to the Lord, and you violation of God's law, God's ways, or God's word, as, as innocent as it might seem, then you're getting sucked into the devil's trap. And he hates you. He wants you to bring you to death. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your eternal soul. And, and, and all, think of all the longings that we have. We have the longing for rest. We talked about that in one of our messages. We have the longing for love. We talked about that in one of our messages. Pastor Lounsborough, by the way, that message that he preached a couple of weeks ago, he had about a day to prepare because I was going to preach that week, and I called him at the last minute. I'm so grateful that he not only preached, but he preached a message about, that he was able to stay on, on topic and preach a message about purpose, meaning, purpose. These are just some human longings. And then, if you remember last week, we preached a message about the longing that we have for joy and for happiness and for delight. Do you have any doubt? This series could go on and on and on because we could talk about the longing that we have for security and protection, the longing that we have for justice and personal rights, the longings that we have for intimacy, the longing that we have for beauty, for leisure, for rest, for play, for accomplishment. We have longings in our soul in so many different ways, the longing for meaning and significance. You know, you know kind of each one of these could be its own message, you see. We have a longing in our hearts for dignity and respect. Now, what person doesn't appreciate being treated like a human being, having dignity and respect? And sometimes it's this great inner longing for that. Sometimes it's just a longing for you don't know what. I know sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's emotional, sometimes it's chemical, sometimes it's hormonal, who knows. I, I remember when we got home from having Kyle, and he was a little tiny baby, and Lois was crying, and I said, why are you crying? This is when I first discovered that women don't often either know why they're crying or they just want you to try to figure it out. And I just said, why are you crying? And she just doesn't cry that often, you know, and she was just crying. And, of course, it probably was her chemistry, whatever, but she's just crying. And I said, why are you crying? And I remember her going, I don't know. I thought you don't know. And so, but that's very common, right? What do you want? I don't know. You want something? Yeah. What? I don't know. I just know I want something. I just know that I have an unfulfilled longing, and I can't put a finger on it. You know, you know we kind of laugh about that, but that is very powerfully true. We have longings we don't know. The, the longing, I think about this, is kind of big, big kind of theological words, transcendence and imminence. You'll notice that we, we do this when we gather together as a church and we worship. You'll notice there's a little song we sang at camp among the young people this, week, this uh, summer, and it was like, He's high above us. The phrase was, he's high above us. He's here among us. That's transcendence, imminence. We have a longing for God who's bigger than we are. And we have a longing for God that's really close and personal. We have a longing for transcendence, a God who's bigger than us. And a longing for imminence, a God who can hold our hand and comfort us in the night. We just have these longings. Or the longing for pleasure, which is very real. And then I just put in here fishing. Because some of us are just very simple people, right? It's like transcendence, imminence, I don't know. I just want to go fishing a lot, right? I thought you'd think that was funnier than you did. And then, and then, if you, and then how many of you have more shoes than you're going to wear if you wore another pair of shoes every day this year? You would still not run out of shoes. Don't raise your hands. Yeah. Or, or then there's people who have a lot of books, but we're not talking about that. 
or just experiences and things and accomplishments, we just have this big screen full of desires. And the point I'm kind of making is that this is not going to be a series that goes all the way through, you know, like 2025. This is the end of it. But, but we, what we did is we took a handful of things like rest and love and purpose and joy and happiness. And today, I kind of want to give you the mechanics of desire. How does it work that our desires take us away from God? And how does it work that our desires take us to God? I just want to talk about that today. And, and, and to help you kind of to think clearly about it, there, there are really going to be four words that you can kind of hang your ideas on. Okay, Here are the words, and we already talked about one of them. The word desire. Just keep the word desire in mind. Or longing, obviously, desire. So that's true with all of us. We all have desires. Am I right? Yes. Okay. And then the other thing, the other word that I want you to keep in mind is just for now, and I'll tell you why later, is keep in mind the word worship. Desire and worship. And then keep in mind the word pride. Keep in mind the word pride. And we'll just, we'll just describe kind of like how desires work, the mechanics of desire, and, and we're talking about desire and worship and pride and then repentance. So we're talking about those four things. I think the reason I, I put it together like this is because I don't want this to just be some kind of like faraway concept that you don't get. But it's something that you get and it helps you. How you make your way through life. How you, Jesus, when he came to this world, he said he wanted his followers to have fullness of joy. That just sounds good to me. And he wanted us to have eternal life. And he didn't want us to defer all of our joy to the future. But even while we were suffering or going through difficult or living in a broken and fallen world, he wanted us to be able to be, to have joy or happiness or peace or contentment or fulfillment. And these are all things that he promises, powerfully promises. And so we're going to talk about, like, how does it work? And so we're talking here about uh, desires. We're talking about longings. And Satan wants our desires, and he wants our cravings to overshadow our God. Now, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German theologian martyr, he wrote about this in a little book he wrote on temptation. And I thought it was interesting. In this book, he said, at the moment of temptation, at this moment, God is quite unreal to us. Satan does not here fill us with hatred for God, but mere forgetfulness of him. Can you relate to that? It, when you're tempted, it's not always that you're going to, you know, shake your fist at God and say, God, I don't believe in you, I don't trust you, I hate you. But you're going to say, you're just going to kind of set him aside for a while, and you're going to have forget, you're going to kind of set that thought aside. And that's what happens in this when these, that's what Satan wants to do. He wants us to forget who God is, our accountability to God. He wants us to forget the goodness of God. He doesn't want us to realize that God has his very best for us, and he doesn't want us to be conscious of that at that time. And that's what happens. And so our desires then, if they lead us to God or they lead us away from God, they lead us away from God when we forget, when we're forgetful of God. And this matter of pride, uh, and that is what we often do in, and if you take your Bible and look in 1 Timothy, I, I used the passage in 1 Timothy as just one of the many biblical examples that I could use to show how this works. So look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. And if you know about 1 Timothy chapter 6, you know that one of the main things that it aims at is, an, is a desire for money for its own sake. Now, there's nothing wrong with, with money itself. It's when we have an inordinate desire for money for the wrong purposes is when we like depend on money or we worship money or what money can buy us that we get ourselves into the the, the high grass right and so um here it says in in first timothy chapter 6 verse 3 if anyone teaches otherwise and doesn't consent to wholesome words 
even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness. Notice what it says in verse three, 4. He is what? He's proud. He's proud, knowing nothing, but obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy and strife and reviling and evil suspicions and useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, who suppose godliness is a means of gain. From such withdraw yourself. Godliness with contentment is great gain. This is just one example of the whole thing about like uh, greed, if you will, or a, or a lack of contentment or a desire for worshiping, for gathering things and worship things and putting your stock in things instead of God is one example. But what does he say? It, it, it comes out of pride. Now, we tend to confuse arrogance and pride. A lot of times we say, well, I'm not proud, meaning, and what you mean is you're not arrogant. But pride is subtle. And all arrogant people are proud, but not all proud people are arrogant. Let me give you an example. So, like, arrogance is a person who acts haughty. Arrogance is a person who puts on that kind of proud appearance. Pride is a lot more subtle than that. A lot of times people are proud, but they're smart enough not to act arrogant. I think probably most of us are in that category. Because pride is whenever I decide that I'm going to be the guy that makes the final decisions in my life instead of God is going to make the final decisions in my life. I am going to make the decisions in my life instead of God's word is going to be the law in my life. Anytime that I think I can operate independent from God, then I'm operating in pride. And that's the perfect way for us, for our longings, to take us away from God. We have desires. And then we decide to fulfill those desires in a way that we think is right or the way that we want to fulfill them and that violates God's word in some way. And then we've made a proud decision because we've not done what God says. Does that make sense? We're operating on our own. And that pride is operating without God. I have a friend. His name is Gary. And his marriage was terribly on the rocks. I was there when it happened. At the time, they just had the two little kids. His wife started coming to church. He wasn't going to come. Wasn't interested. She would, you know, come to church, kind of complain about different things he did. I hadn't met him. He sounded horrible, you know, how that works. And uh, turns out he wasn't horrible, but, uh, but he was proud. She starts coming to church and comes to know the Lord, and, and, and she starts to kind of tell about the difficulties in her marriage, and, and she starts to kind of complain to Lois about that. And I remember indirectly giving her counsel, you know, you stick with him, you be faithful to him, and you love him, and you be good to him, and be patient with him. And, and, but one Sunday she was crying at church, and and I said, hey, what's wrong? I kind of asked around a little bit. They said, well, she left him. Uh, she's got, she just got tired. You know, it wasn't a matter of adultery. It wasn't a matter of abuse. She just, just thought, you know, that's it. I'm, I'm tired of it. I'm, I'm going to leave him. And we didn't advise her to do that. She did it. And uh, so I called him on the phone. And I, his name was Gary. Uh, Gary Mickle was his name. He wouldn't mind me telling you at all. And I said to him, Gary, I'd like to help you, you know. I just want you to know, we haven't met, but I'm your friend. And uh, I visited his home, talked with him a lot. One night when he was going through a real difficult time, he had the television on at home. And uh, he wasn't paying any attention to it. He was just walking around an empty house because his wife and his kids were gone. He was walking around an empty house, and Charles Stanley was preaching. And Charles Stanley, um, you know how he'll point at you and say, listen? If you ever listen, he's like, listen to me. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, so Gary was walking through the room, past the door, and the pastor says, listen to me. And he stopped and he went back and he said, your problem 
is pride. And God broke his heart. And he realized that his problem was pride. And he humbled himself and decided, Gary decided that he was going to build his marriage. He was going to build his family. He was going to build his life around just taking a Bible and reading it and wearing it out and obeying God and doing what God says, following Jesus and believing in Jesus and trusting in Jesus. And as a result, Gary's wife came back to him. He humbled himself. He loved her. He took care of her. He took care of his kids. He's a large family. They're all grown and gone now. He has a big family of kids out there in the world that love him and love their mom because he humbled himself and because he decided he wasn't going to run his life. He was going to let God run his life. People, listen, that's just totally the difference right there. You can decide, this seems right to me, it's what I'm going to do, but you know, there's a way that seems right to a person, and the end of it is death. And then, or you can say, even though it doesn't seem right, I'm going to do what God says. I'm going to trust that God is smarter than I am. And what do you call that? Well, that, really what that's called is worship. That's called worship. That's another word we were talking about. You have a choice in life to have your f- desires fulfilled through doing it your way and violating God's way or doing it God's way. When you do it your way, one of the things you call that is idolatry or pride. When you do it God's way, you call that worship. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verses 11 through 19, notice what it says. You, man of God, this is Paul the apostle, an older saint, writing to this young pastor. You, O man of God, he says, flee these things. And what he was talking about is the person who's serving for his own desires. And by the way, notice in, this is some of the most powerful passages in the scripture. Notice what he says, how he describes from verse 7. We brought nothing to this world. It's certain we can carry nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we should be content with that. Those who desire to be rich will fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish, harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. And for the love of money, it's the root of all kinds of evil from which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and they pierce themselves through with many sorrows. This is the guaranteed way for you to have many sorrows. Let anything take you away from God and you will have inconsolable sorrow. If you're a believer, you'll have sorrows, but you'll have, a, you'll have a network of believers to go with you through sorrow. You'll have the Holy Spirit to live within you in sorrow. You'll have the promise of God lifting sorrow forever in eternity someday. But if you're an unbeliever, it's just going to be one wave of sorrow after another, after another, and then an eternity of sorrow away from God. But it doesn't have to be that way because those who put their faith and their trust and their confidence in Jesus Christ and they confess their sins and they ask Jesus to save them as simply as Jared did. Then they pass from death unto life and they become followers of Jesus and the Holy Spirit lives within them and the life of God is in them. Then they're on, they have eternal life and they're on their way to life. Don't let anyone confuse you or deceive you about that. And if you say, well, I'm a believer, but you kind of live like an unbeliever, well, how foolish is that? He says, flee those things, but pursue these things. And he lists them in verse 11. Pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and patience and gentleness and fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life to which you were called and have confessed a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And he says, remember how Jesus stood before Pilate and he confessed a good confession? That's what he says. In verse 17 he says this. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty or trust in uncertain riches. You don't think you're rich, but on a world scale, you're doing good, right? 
If you have a closet full of shoes, if you, have a, if you drove here and you didn't walk here, right? If you're going to eat three times today, then, then on a world scale, if you never worried about fresh, clean water ever in your life, on a world scale, we're among the well-to-do. And the Bible says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty or to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. And notice this. He gives us richly all things to enjoy. To enjoy. Did you get that? So God doesn't want you to be unhappy. He wants you to be truly happy. He doesn't want want you to be unfulfilled. He wants you to be truly fulfilled. He doesn't want you never to enjoy pleasure. He wants you to enjoy pure, lasting, satisfying pleasure the way he made you. That's what he wants for you. So you can't like believe and listen to other people that get you to violate God's word. Okay, so you're, you're, you're probably wondering, so how do I do this then? So, you know, if you have this option, you have the option of, of worship or you have the option of pride. Like, what makes the difference? And that's where uh, another word comes in. Notice it like this. We can, we can, with our desires, we can move towards pride. And when we do that, the Bible says that means we're going to we're running our own life. We're doing our own thing. We're not believing in Jesus. We're not trusting in Jesus. And our life is going to end up in sorrow and destruction. Drown ourselves in sorrow and destruction. Pierce ourselves through with many sorrows. End up in eternity in hell away from God. Or we go the way of worship, which basically means everywhere you look. And think about this. Everywhere you look in your world and everything you see, you have a, you have a cute little brother. And your little brother, you love him. And you realize that your little brother, though sometimes it doesn't seem like it, is a gift from God. And, the, and you say, and when you have that, like, tug on your heart, like I did, when I remember when my little brothers were little, and I'd take them out to eat or something, or they'd come to my ball game, and I would just have this love that I had for them. As I, and, I, and I take that as God's expression of love to me, and when I acknowledge that, that becomes worship. Does it make sense? So when I eat a reasonable amount of food that's honoring to the Lord, then the, then the, then the meal becomes worship. If I overeat into gluttony and then worship becomes, then the food becomes my God, then I'm not really pleasing God and I'm, I'm killing myself. Sorry to bring that up on Sunday when you're getting ready to go to the buffet and all, but, you know, it's just true, right? See what I mean? There are ways that God designed for us to be fulfilled, and that's called worship. And when we go beyond that, well, you know, that's why, by the way, you know, I have my experience with that. It, that's why, by the way, we, we really know, and that is that, that worship is the way to overcome these kind of downward tugs on our soul that, that suck us into, you know, uh, you know, drunkenness or gluttony or the other kinds of sins that, just, that kill us. Worship is the, is the way to, worship is the way to defeat that. It's to find our delight in God instead of our delight in the things that God gives alone as if they were God, Right? And so you have this. <coughs> now, what makes the difference in that? You see, that's where, <coughs> that's where repentance comes in. I can barely get this out. That's where repentance comes in. Repentance is the thing that we do where we turn from pride, right, to worship. It's metanoia. It means changing of the mind and will and emotions to thorough and full and thorough change. It's like total... I just wonder if this has happened to you. You know, a lot of you would say, well, hey, hey, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm a, you know, I know the, the drill, right? I know the words to say. Yeah, yeah, but here's what I want to know. Are you a devoted, consecrated, sold out, for sure, 
Christian that really puts your stake in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You love him. You adore him. He's everything to you. He's who you depend on for your fulfillment and your, and your happiness. That's what I'm talking about. People who repent into Christ, change their mind and heart and will and emotion. Those are people who have their longings fulfilled in Christ. And those are powerful people. Those are spiritually mighty people. Those are spiritually attractive people. Those are people that are going to go out into this world and people are going to see a big difference in them and it's going to make a difference because those people, just like you, have powerful longings and they wonder if they're ever going to find a fulfillment of those powerful longings and they suspect that they won't and then they meet a creature like you. And you're a common person with common things and yet you have this deep kind of happiness and joy and fulfillment and purpose because you repented and because you keep repenting. And whenever you're tempted to run your own life and make your own decisions, you go back to God, you go back to his word, you go back to obeying him. That's called repentance. And I love what it says in Acts chapter 3, verse 18. Peter's preaching this go get them, knock them dead sermon. And in the sermon, he gets to the conclusion, he goes, repent. Repent and be converted, and seasons of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. Don't you love that? Are you a little tired of your life the way it is? Could you use a little breeze blowing into your life? A little season of refreshing from the presence of the Lord? A little sense of fulfillment that nobody else can offer you? Do you realize that's what your creator God who adores you and who loves you and who's been spending 2,000 years creating heaven on your behalf, that's what he wants for you? For you to yield to him is the way to repent. Of your sin, which is anything that goes against God's design. And Jesus takes your sin, takes it with him to the cross, suffers on the cross for you, for your sin. You believe in him, and you just simply, like the thief on the cross, you simply ask in prayer, God, I believe in you. Jesus, I believe in you. I trust you. I want to follow you. You say, well, I'm a Christian. I did that a long time ago. Well, then let's live like it, amen? Let's live like it because there's people out there that are so desperately lost. Let's, can we just not forget that? We've got a want to start and up. Let's go get some kids. Get them into that want program. We've got upward starting up. Let's go get some kids. Get them into that upward program. We're preaching the gospel here every week. Let's go get some people. Let's bring them in. See, that's our, that's our calling if we're believers in Jesus Christ because they're desperately hurting. And, and you know what? You folks, evangelists, you are at your most attractive when you, not when you, you know, like argue among each other. That's yucky. You're at your most attractive when you forget about that and you go out there and you go find somebody and you go love them. You're at your best. That amen. You missed the amen part. Yeah. Yeah. So the little boy goes in a hospital, terrible, terrible burns over like 70% of his body. He's horribly burned. He's not responding well to treatment at all. The school says what the school people call. What should we do? How, how bad is he? They said, we have a program. We can spend a, send a special teacher. The people at the hospital go, well, why not? You know, we've tried everything else. This kid's not responding to anything. It's not good. They send this special teacher, an English teacher. Her, they, they said, well, where he left off in school was parts of speech. So go teach him the parts of speech. Oh, that would be enough to kill a lot of kids, you know. <laughs> so the teacher comes in, and the teacher they go, oh, before you go in there, you need to be prepared that you need to cover your mouth because he's, a, he's a vulnerable to infection. He's got bandages all over his body. He's horribly disfigured. And try not to react when you go see him. And don't touch him. 
So the teacher steals herself with courage, and she walks in the room, and there's this poor kid, just terribly burned, and he can't respond, and she teaches her, her best the parts of speech, verbs and nouns and adjectives and adverbs, and she does her best. And she knows she failed. He didn't respond a, a bit. And she left the room, and she was being paid by the school district, so she came back the next day. And when she got there, the nurses all looked at her in awe and said, what did you do? What did you do? She goes, what do you mean? What did you do when you went in there? She said, I taught him like verbs and nouns and stuff. Why? She said, he's responding. He's going to make it. Later on, when he fully recovered, they said to him, what was it? He said, I was laying there, and I figured, they're not going to come in and teach parts of speech to a guy if they think he's going to die. So I figured I was going to live. <laughs> you might not even know why it works. You take the gospel, you take the truth, you take the word of life to people, and maybe they'll get a hunch. Maybe I can get free of my drugs. Maybe I can live clean. Maybe I can have a happy marriage. Maybe I can go to heaven when I die. Listen, this is so serious, you know. It's so serious. It's deadly serious. Kyle said to me, I went over to the family's house of the boy who took his life, and I listened to him. Mom lives in Kentucky. Said one summer the boy was with his mom in Kentucky, and she wanted to have a happy day with him, so she said she was going to take him up to Natural Bridge. It's a hike, unless you take the trolley up there. It's a pretty rigorous hike up to the top of Natural Bridge. And she made up her mind they were going to hike up to Natural Bridge together, she and her 14-year-old boy. And so up they went. You know, you get about two-thirds of the way up, and it starts getting really steep up there. And she couldn't make it. And so she found a bench. There's a bench about three-quarters of the way up there under the Natural Bridge. And she sat down, and she just started to cry because she wanted so much to be able to take her boy up to Natural Bridge. And she couldn't do it. And then he sat down next to her. And he said, well, Mom, it's okay. I don't have to go up there. And she says, no, I want you to go on ahead without me. Go on up the top of Natural Bridge. I want you to see it. He said, well, Mama, I'm not going to go without you. I didn't come up here to see Natural Bridge. I came here to spend time with you. So they sat there on the bench, <laughs> he and his mom. Somebody had hiked up ahead of them. And they'd hiked up there with a cello. And they stood up on the top of the Natural Bridge in that beautiful amphitheater made by God. And played beautiful cello music out over the valley. And they sat there together and they listened to that music. And Kyle told his mommy after the funeral, you know that heaven is coming to earth someday. He says, I don't know if it's true, but I believe that natural bridge is still going to be there on the new earth. I think you can go back. I think you're going to hear music there again. We need to go to people who are hurting and who are broken. And Satan is trying to crush them. And we need to show them that we found our satisfaction, our fulfillment, and our joy in God. We need to take the word of life to people who are dying. And I don't want to ever forget it. Stand with me, will you? And we're going to dismiss you in prayer now. And you have a commission. Invite somebody, come back tonight, enjoy the concert tonight, and then take some invitations, get out there. Here's what's going on, okay? So I'm walking through my neighborhood yesterday morning, and this beautiful couple rides by, this young couple. They go to another church, and they ride by on their bikes, and they both have the big smile on their face, and they both say, hi, Pastor Pierpont, when does Zawana start? And I go, I think it's in mid-September, and they go, it's not on your website, and I'm like, it will be. 
I forgot at about midnight last night, it hit me. I got out of bed and I went and put it on the website. September 14th is the kickoff for Awana. September 7th is when the leaders meet and people want it. They're riding through the neighborhood calling out for it. Amen? All right, so go tell them about it. Isn't that great? Father in heaven, thank you that we could be here today under the sound of the gospel. And now as we dismiss the people, Lord, in your name, I pray that they would go in peace and that, Lord, that your hand would be upon them uh, Lord, I, I pray, I know Angela Uplinger's going back to school too. I know others that I've missed and I care about. But, Lord, as we pray about these kids that are going back to school and the ones that live at home and they're headed back into school and the teachers and so forth, school begins. And, and Lord, all of us are being sent out into a world. And, Lord, we, we, we want to pray that you would give us opportunities for us to give the word of life to people. And we thank you for Jared today. Thank you for saving him and Lord, thank you for his mom being here today and Rosinski's being here today to support him. I pray that he would walk with you all the days of his life and never turn aside and that you greatly bless him and greatly use him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You're dismissed.